We have been uh, working our way through Luke, a master class about living from the master. Uh, we've considered uh, gratitude and faith and um, all manner of stuff. And this morning, uh, the master teaches about prayer. So if you'll turn with me, and last week I had never looked at that text before. This week, I, only once before. So um, really, uh, again, a good week for me because it was a relatively unfamiliar text and passage to think through and work on. Luke chapter 18, the, the first uh, eight verses. Listen then for the voice of God. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she, she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The word of the Lord. There is an iconic scene in Family Guy, the body animated sitcom. Stewie, the baby with the football-shaped head, toddles up to Lois, his mother. She's sitting on the bed, exhausted and staring straight ahead. And Stewie says, Lois, 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 L Lois, mom, 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 M mommy, 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 mama, mama, ma, 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 mommy, mama, mommy. Finally, Lo Lois whirls around and yells, what? To which Stewie replies, hi. <laughs> and then runs out of the room giggling with millions, watch it this afternoon, with millions of views on YouTube, the genius of that scene is that we know the incessant, insistent demands of a child. We've experienced the relentless requests that eventually wear down even the strongest among us. Amen? Annoying or endearing, we know the voice of one who won't give up. 
And that seems to be what Jesus wants. Pray like that. Pray with persistence. Pray with assist, in, insistence. Pray with Stewie. Pray like the widow. For even a corrupt judge will give in and say, yeah, how much more the one who created you and called you his own? If that bloke eventually crumbles and answers the widow's request, just imagine what your heavenly father will do. And maybe that's all there is to the parable, as Luke puts it. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. This isn't, this isn't a puzzling parable or a colorful story with a surprising twist. This isn't the way of the world turned on its head. This is a direct volley, a straight shot. Pray without ceasing and never lose heart. And maybe that's enough. To use Jesus' language from a few chapters earlier, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Who can argue with that? Surely not the women who gather at Hope to pray on the first Monday of every month. You didn't know about them? There's a team of women that meet here to pray. With tenacity and tenderness, they pray for the church, they pray for our children, or for our seniors. They pray for babies in the womb and those grieving the death of loved ones. They pray for the sick and the suffering. They pray in joy, they pray in sorrow, and they've been doing this for years. They pray for you. They're a living embodiment of this parable. Thanks be to God. Therefore, let's make this a short sermon. Let's heed this call and pray up a storm. Let's beat a path to God's door and keep pounding until our, our knuckles bleed. For surely God will answer Around you sit those who can bear witness to the persistence of prayer. Again, thanks be to God. Wouldn't be me without a big butt. <laughs> but there's something unsettling here. What of the family that prays faithfully for years only to watch a loved one waste away in the stench of chemo and cancer? What of the couple struggling with infertility? How many prayers for how long? What of the long-suffering prayers that the scourge of gun violence will not take one more child's life? 
How many prayers for how long? What of the parent praying for a child who can't shake the black dog of depression? How many prayers for how long? Do we just hang those prayers on the knowledge that God is answering, just not the answer that we're longing for, or praying for, or waiting for, or pleading for? Is it a matter of effort? And we just need to keep knocking longer and louder. Maybe it's, maybe it's up to us. Dear friends, is that all that Scripture has to offer? Prayer as a divine slot machine that responds to those who just keep putting in nickels. Surely prayer is something more than just waiting for God to fix things on our behalf. Surely there must be something more than the instruction to pester God. God, 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 until God finally answers our prayer. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So what are we to make of this parable? Does it turn on a God who's more generous than a mid-level magistrate? Is it about the plucky persistence of the widow? Is this about the nature of faith or the nature of God? Is it a rallying cry to storm the gates of heaven and a challenge to those of us who are lollygagging on the spiritual sidelines? What are we to make of this parable? You're still with me? By the way, that's the end of all the stories. This is all Bible study from here on out. Maybe this is helpful. The widow in this parable is emblematic of the most vulnerable and voiceless in society. Widows had few rights. Their late husband's property was transferred right through them to their closest male relative. Their status was determined by their relationship to a man. But the courts made space for widows. Old Testament law required judges to listen to their concerns. That requirement was only superseded by those of orphans. So this judge, no matter how puffed up with pride, was obligated to listen to the widow. Now, he could have been dismissive. He could have been distracted. But rightfully, this widow would not be shuffled to the side. And therefore, she kept after him. She kept crying out. She kept demanding to be heard. She kept pleading her case. 
until he gave in. Quite frankly, the Greek here is more colorful than our English translation. The judge finally folds saying, this is a more literal translation, I will see that she gets justice so that she eventually won't come and give me a black eye. <laughs> the sense of the word attack, our translation, is that of striking one under the eye. The judge wasn't compassionate to the widow's circumstances. He was worried about her left hook. <laughs> he didn't want to explain the shiner to the barristers around the bar. So he hears her case and he grants her justice. We should also note that this parable only appears in Luke's gospel. And it comes hot on the heels of Jesus talking about the end of the age. He says to his disciples, this is the verses right before what we read. He says to his disciples, I tell you that on that night, the end of the age, two people will be in, in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Imagine my terror as a child when I was told this. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? Where will they be taken? They asked. And he replied, Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Again, not a text we quote very often. <laughs> Yikes. And with that, Jesus takes a deep breath and launches into this peculiar point-blank parable about prayer. So maybe it's helpful to remember that Luke wrote his gospel some 20 years after Jesus. And at that time, the followers of Jesus were trying to make sense of his life and his death and his resurrection while hanging on to this extraordinary promise that he would return. A return they expected to be imminent. But as they waited, and Jesus didn't come back, they became discouraged and dismayed. They lost heart. There was a Roman boot on their necks. They knew suffering and abuse. Justice seemed a long way off. And a promise delayed felt like a promise betrayed. I like that line. A promise delayed felt like a promise betrayed. So it was easy to be disillusioned and disenchanted and despairing. How long, how long do we keep on singing that the world's about to turn? 
Dear friends, there's an eschatological dimension to this parable and end times dimension to this parable. I'm not sure that it amounts to the simple equation prayer equals effort multiplied by time. I'm not sure that the encouragement is just to keep bringing our to-do list to God because eventually God will give in and release the storehouses of heaven. This is about longing for the day when widows and orphans will receive justice. This is about that day when peace will prevail. This is about that day when a table will be spread for all people. This is about that day when God will make his dwelling with people and the very hand of God will wipe away our last tears. For the old order of things has passed away. And so maybe the parable is not so much instruction about how to pray as it is a picture of God granting justice and putting the world to rights. Maybe this parable is not so much about our persistence in prayer as it is about God's unrelenting faithfulness to his promises. Therefore, don't lose heart. Don't give up faith. Keep on praying. For the day is surely, surely coming when justice and mercy will kiss. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. One scholar puts it this way. When justice seems far off, we pray. When rejection is near at hand, we pray. We persist in praying for what's right. We keep our hearts focused on the coming kingdom and its characteristics. In the face of injustice, we do the right thing and pray for God to show himself as a just judge who makes peace and punishment as it should be. One last thing. Seems like a good time for a story. Don't have one. One last thing. It strikes me that belief in God is relatively easy. Most people believe in God, an amorphous, anonymous deity, distant and mysterious God. And worship of that God may have its own culturally conditioned beauty, the language of liturgy the glory of singing, choral music beautifully rendered, the smells and bells, the silence, 
even a circle of church friends, it has its own goodness. Belief or worship of God is doable. But prayer? Prayer gives that vague God a certain name and a particular urgency. Prayer is the comforting and confounding recognition that God has personhood. Prayer is the faith, even the size of a mustard seed. That should echo from a couple weeks ago. Prayer is the faith, even the size of a mustard seed, that God is. And therefore, while the actual form of prayer may be incidental, any prayer, any prayer that has even a shred of authenticity, hopes or believes that God can and will act. And prayer, therefore, is finally longing for God's will, God's way, God's justice, God's mercy in this world. So, dear friends, may our lives be marked by faithful, enduring prayer. May we be among those who are found faithful, still praying in the dawning light of that great morning when Jesus shall return to answer every prayer we've ever whispered. Amen.